Hello and welcome to this week's BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Michelle Cavello, founder of Lountain Partners, a virtual CFO advisory firm. We talk more about the business's working principles and how they operate from day to day. And we also share stories about difficult client scenarios we've experienced and how they've been dealt with, as well as discussing the current state of Australia's startup community, labour shortages and immigration policies. Welcome to Guiding Lanterns. It's slightly crass to get into it, but it's you're 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 paid a fee, or you also take a, a slice of the action where you take it, where you get involved in shareholdings or not? Generally not. Generally, it's kind of a fee-based structure. So. Is there anything where you think, oh, I, I love this idea. I'd quite like a piece of that action. Quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> and then after a further two weeks, you think, nah. <laughs> yeah, that no, was a mistake. Honestly, the businesses that we work with are, and totally unbiased, obviously, but really, really interesting, fast-growing businesses. So, um, so yeah, if there's ever the opportunity, we would completely go for it. But. And you don't mind that? You sort of, you're entering the realm, you're sort of going in off, and I imagine, what, a couple of years into their life cycle and they've got some bookkeeper who's had a nervous breakdown or something or... Seventh emergency service. Seventh emergency service. Um, Woo! Yeah. So generally, I kind of joke that we get the call in year four. It's like they've dusted yeah. off their five-year plan that they they yeah. they did when they first started the business. And they were like, hang on a minute, we were supposed to be here in year five. We're a year off and I don't feel like we're anywhere close. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's in those kind of early stages. Though, I have to say, over the last couple of years, we've, we've come more and more involved with earlier stage startups. It used to be primarily scale-ups, um, because frankly, kind of, they then had the funding and the runway to, to say, actually yeah. make it make sense. But now we're getting involved also with startups who have got raised a decent amount of seed or VC funding, and we're being brought in by those initial investors who basically want some good governance around the finances as the the businesses. Do you, do you find there are particular kind of issues? the earlier you get? I mean, is it noticeably different the kind of businesses you're working with when they're much earlier? No, it doesn't tend to be different kind of businesses. They're obviously at a much earlier stage, so their pain points are different. When we're getting involved with scale-ups, they've generally, you know, gone got through those four, first, say, four years just with the founder being able to kind of touch and feel and direct everything. And now they've got to the stage where it's just too big to do that. But I think in those really early stages, and we're a lot lighter on with those earlier stage ones, we're we're nowhere near as heavily involved as with the scale-ups. But I think the founders have to be so involved at that earlier stage because it's so critical you know, embedding that company DNA and that founder DNA in terms of how that the business evolves. So that's probably a little bit different. Do you find you get, I mean, because what I find, particularly with, with startups, is that you get asked about all sorts of things, not just your sort of area of expertise. Oh, God, yes. But, you yeah, know, yeah. I literally had somebody Do on the phone to me. you know a dentist? Me, I had somebody on the phone to me yesterday literally saying, do you think, you know, should I do this deal? And if I do this deal, should I? What do you think I should ask for? I'm like, it's your business, mate. I. Well, that's interesting. Okay, because I think because we're we've never been um, a corporate structuring or taxation kind of based firm. We've always done the CFO advisory and that commercial input. So yes, a lot of the time 
we are getting asked those, hey, this deal is, is might be happening. This is this is a direction we might be going in. And being that sounding board... To is this whole, the right outfit yeah. for the pitch? <laughs> no, I, I mean, we may be, you know, uh, Pippa for a sins is a lawyer. I mean, mine for mine, you know, where I'm an accountant and you're an accountant. And I, I this week I've had a call from someone basically asking me, should I do this, you know, or should I go this direction on... And actually, it's, I think it's probably one of the toughest bits of the job because you've got to have an opinion because they need your support and, and argument. I give them my opinion, but, but sometimes I want them to take responsibility for their own business. You know, when you get people saying, how many shares does everybody have? And what percentage, you know, who do I need to get to sign this to get over 75%? I've just redone your cap table seven times with different scenarios because you asked me to. Just look at the cap table and work it yeah, out. Yeah. You know, no, that's that's fair. And I and you're 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 amazing and have broad broad skills. So you you know that's probably why you get those questions like that. But I'm I'm hinting towards. I think as a lawyer, it's almost h- harder to ha- you know. It's an accountant's job is more sort of like I don't know. Structuring. Which, I don't know. There's commercial. something about our, it's more yeah. commercial. Yeah. It's more yeah, commercial. Yeah, so we would be thinking, well, what's the price? What's the company worth? You know, da, 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 you know, how's this practically going to play out sort of thing? Whereas it's a tough question, I think, for a lawyer to try and ask because you're worried about risk and, and protection. Well, I, and- I will always say, well, if it were me, I'd do this, but I'm just telling you what I would do. Mm. Not, I'm not giving you advice yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. just telling you that yeah. I, this is what I would do. But I think that that's why a lot, you know, our client base tend to be solo founders because if you've got mm. co-founders, those are the kind of conversations you're having with your co-founder. It's a very lonely place to you're be, really isn't it? Only and um, it's funny because we we work with quite a few um, male founder CEOs, and you know we're we're talking them through kind of you know the emotions of it and kind of the roller coaster and all those kind of things. And quite often they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we we don't need that. <laughs> and then they come back and go, yeah, but what should I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of quite I mean, an interesting. I think it's position. Equal, is equally difficult because I, I I still haven't worked out what the best is because you get your solo founders who. Apart from anything else, they can disappear down rabbit holes and you can't get them back because they're kind of, they've got nobody, you know, rubbing off the crazy. Mm. But then you get kind of two founders together or three founders and two of the founders turn against the other one and it's a massive car crash. Bloodbath. You know, you just don't know. Some of them work, some of them don't. And I don't think in a way it matters whether it's one founder or two yeah, founders. Yeah, that's a strange yeah. bit of your job. You're like, um, it's that, that, temp, that transient thing is that um, because it's a bit like the sort of if you're in a relationship with someone and they said, oh, I'm only here for six months or something, you'd be like, well, I better get the sex in and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I, won't get, I won't get the flat. Let's let's leave the flat. We went there fast, but not yeah, you know as what fast I mean? as sometimes. But it's a yeah. little, you know, interesting. You're coming in as a CFO and it's a very popular and successful thing and arguably because because what they want is someone of your skill set, but they can't actually afford to have someone mm. full time of your skill set. And they don't need yeah. it. So it fits like that. So that's why it works The sort of, do you Think, what do you do? You tell them you're it's transitory, or do you say I could be here for, or I'm here to find the replacement of me, or something? Or no. So what we usually say to them up front is that you know one of our success criteria is that you're going to outgrow us. If we do our job right and your business works, you will either sell to a bigger company that has a finance team and a CFO already in place, or you'll get to the stage where you're you're going to need a full time CFO or at the very least a permanent part time CFO. Yeah, because we start to not make sense at about three days a week. Yeah. so we do a whole range from you know one or two days a month to three days a week. But once it gets beyond that, it doesn't really make sense for them anymore, and they're at that stage where they really need someone embedded 
within the business. Do you, so, do you say to them, if it doesn't work out, I will own your business and do like a mechanical, <laughs> mechanical? What's the word? Laugh? No. But I mean, it's maniacal. It, maniacal laugh. No, it's fair comment. You know, your 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 job is your job is for them to be successful and be able to yeah. you know, go past yeah. this point. Yeah. And it's what are their other options? I mean, what do I say as an advice? I said, get a good bookkeeper, please, or let mm. us do it. Mm. Like, I'm sure when you arrive, you're just the first thing you want to know is. What are the books like and what's yeah, the bookkeeper absolutely. like? But, but also, if you've got a more junior finance resource, either outsourced or within the business, because sometimes they've got, you know, a bookkeeper or a junior accountant that's the, the first finance hire. But that first finance hire doesn't necessarily know how to influence the rest of the business. Mm. So they may have a whole bunch of answers and a whole bunch of views that are going to be really, really useful to the business. But helping them to actually communicate that to the founder and the business is one of the other things that we do. So we, we're coaching and mentoring existing finance right. teams as well, whether they're in-house or or outsourced, to kind of help that part of the and business grow as well. And it's sort of thinking about that more, almost slightly more structural thing where, you know, shout out to one of my clients who's who's got an accountant called Barry the Greek. You know, a lot of people have, when you start out, you just kind of, what do I need to start this business? I'll just get a bookkeeper. Mm. You get a bookkeeper in, but they're not going to do any of the strategic thinking or the more high-level thinking about the direction of the finances of the business. And you really need somebody that's going to do that. Yeah. And there's a whole range of kind of skill sets within bookkeeping. Because I've, I've seen, you know, founders call a qualified accountant a bookkeeper versus someone that's yeah. just doing kind of data entry. And so they're actually understanding who you've employed and what you're asking them to do. Because we we sometimes get involved in, we're not recruiters, but we we often get involved in recruiting the first finance person into a business. And so you have this conversation with, with a founder where they're like, yep, okay, so they need to do the bookkeeping and the payroll um, and the the BAS return, which is the VAT returns in, in Australia. We also want them to do the tax returns and talk to the board and do the reporting and the mm. budgeting. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's a well, lot I would of almost that. draw the line that a bookkeeper, um, the ones who are good bookkeepers in our office that, you know, or let me put it another way. The CFO needs to be able to communicate, like their job is to be able to communicate to the board and report to the yeah. boards. Whereas bookkeeping, they tend to be good at it, good at focusing. Often they can be quite quiet. They like, you know, getting it right and getting it organized. They're very different personality types those two so it's almost yeah exactly as you say you can't give someone all of those jobs no you know? it might it might feel kind of 40 hours a week but you're actually talking about an entire finance team yeah so it's kind of helping them triage what is it that they actually need today and how do they supplement that with other services and frankly what can they do without for a little period of time and to kind of help them evolve that support structure and now a quick word from our sponsor Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. 
And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. One thing I like about your model too is that the slightly consultant nature of it, the slightly being a third party, is actually, it's like me being a third party. You know, I asked whether you would take shares. I would never, I mean, it's not true. Never say never, I have, but you never take shares in a client's business because I need that independence. I need that yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a point. conflict of interest. It really is, it I really, think. And deeper than that, there's a very classic problem. You're probably aware of it. I'm certainly aware of it, is that you can deal with a company for years and then they get this CFO in. And it's basically a really bad news for me as the external accountant because anything that's wrong now will be blamed on us as a firm when it's them. Quite often they're shit CFOs, what really causes the rot. They're very good at doing the talk, but they just start. And you can't say anything because he won't let you, he now separates you from the CEO. The point I'm sort of illustrating is you as a third party can build a finance team or look at it objectively. Whereas if you're in it and you're hard as a CFO, you know, the bias you have over your own position, your salary and who you want it, you know what I mean? Do you know yeah, what but I'm- to your point, isn't that a, just a, bad CFO a, like if you if yeah, you had a maybe. good one yeah. why would they be trying to be so territorial mm. about what they were doing because they 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 should be partnering with you right that's how you're going to get the most out of that relationship it's true it probably is bad CFOs it probably but is but you also too. you know it's just the nature of things that you sometimes will get um a new senior hire come in who has their own agenda their own law firm or their own accounting practice that they like to work with. And and you've kind of had it a bit, but that's just, you know, that happens occasionally. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I just, you know, the, the it is about bad CFOs or whatever, but there is something else sort of deeper that goes on in terms of sort of hierarchy and, you know, how how you how you sort of manage stuff. I, I don't know. I it's it's sort of just quite a common issue, really, I would say, that the the it, maybe I'm just terrible and the CFO comes in <laughs> and he like, finds oh out and he's like, like oh, it feels quite deep seated. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't no, it's weird. A situation just started at the moment and I'm I'm my brain is going, I know this situation. Situation. This is the CFO who's going to come. I mean, the other thing is maybe part of it is the CFO will come in and I'll have their mates. So they're always like, you, you've been working for this company with a CEO for 10 years. And then the CEO says, well, you do whatever you want. Barry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he's sort of like, well, who are you? I don't really know. I'm going to go get my own friends. And you're kind of immediately like, and then it's kind of like, well, what's this here? And what's this here? And it's like, well, you weren't there five years ago when we sorted this out. And yeah, it's a nightmare. But, you know, we had to make, we all made these decisions. Well, I, you know, you're just immediately into this sort of, um, well, I've just got a problem really. That's what's really <laughs> coming out of this conversation. No, but it's sort of a different thing because there's the, flip side which is quite often when I'm working with startups and growth companies I will quite often say to them blame it on me whatever it is blame it on me say my lawyer has said I can't accept this Oh yeah, you know, that or, kind of blue. Yeah. Or you know, good I've cop, spoken bad. To my professional good, good, good advisors. Yeah. Cop, bad you know, cop, yeah. You know, or just just or if something you know they don't like something, just say it was me. Oh, that blames. I really yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's. You know, it rolls straight off my back and they get away. It's when you went around their office and they had a dartboard with your face (laughs) that you're like, guys, you're taking it too far here. You know, it's like, it wasn't actually my fault. I did have an awkward thing where um, I was acting for an investor in a restaurant and the lawyer on the other side, I I was being a bit mean, I guess. And the lawyer on the other side was a bit younger than me. And I took the opportunity to point out like where they were shit, basically. And also we were investing a lot of money into this restaurant and therefore we could dictate the terms. And so we dictated fairly onerous terms. 
And um, apparently the restaurateur, the chef who was setting up the restaurant, said I was an enormous bitch. <laughs> and I then... And you made her cry. <laughs> well, it was a man. And I then... The other lawyer, yeah. I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it was a man. Oh. But yes, I'd like to think that he... We like to cry, cry in private. <laughs> he went in the toilet yeah. and sobbed. And sobbed. <laughs> okay, so you're, te- you're slightly erring towards working for younger businesses. I guess yeah. Australia, the scene is, you know, going from strength to strength, is it? Or what, how do you see the Australian startup scene? Oh, look, it's been really interesting over the last couple of years because... You, you've had, the, there's a huge issue around kind of talent coming into the country. You know, the borders have obviously been shut for a couple of years mm-hmm. and it's tricky to kind of get the right talent in. So that that's an issue if you're a growing Everywhere, business, but right? but Australia didn't help itself out. No, Australia didn't help itself. And, you know, yes, it's happening a, a, in a lot of countries, but I think also there's something to do with the geography and it being so far away that it's, that it's, it, I don't know, it's it's less mobile. So that's definitely an issue. Over the last, and things have changed over the last few months, but over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of capital ready to be deployed kind of within Australia, both internally and, and from overseas. So there's actually, so there's been kind of an awful lot of corporate activity going on, which has benefited a lot of the businesses that, that we've been working with. And that's kind of changed as it's changed for everyone over, over the last couple of months. Um, but, you know, the, the previous government and, you know, hopefully this government as well, because we've just had a change of government in Australia, has been kind of quite invested in trying to, to create an ecosystem that is um, attractive for those kind of IP growing businesses and those, you know, particularly around technology businesses have obviously been a couple of really successful Australian technology businesses over the last few years. Um, so it's, it is positive, but I, but I do think the the talent issue is one that that needs to be fixed and kind of how you get not just how you get people in you know because the borders are open now but how you actually get the right visas for the people to come in easily to work as well um, and at the moment that that's tricky so is there a lack of talent within Australia do you need people to come in definitely but um, it, it's a mobile kind of workforce and if the Australian workforce can easily leave and kind of get a job somewhere else, but you're not getting... What are the visa in. options to go to Australia? Oh, gosh, it's, it's changed quite a lot recently in terms... Of, so you've, got, you've had changes to kind of permanent residency visas and a, a harder path to actually becoming a permanent resident through sponsorship visas, tightening up around... Um, what kind of individuals businesses can sponsor? There's a sort of need for it in the business industry, but and, and there's a there's a slightly anti-immigration vibe still politically, like there is here. Basically, you know, yeah. in London, everyone's desperate for talent, but you know, fifty-five percent of the country think we're too soft on French people coming over from France in dinghies. I mean, I know, get your head around I know. that. And you know, it's kind. Of, Australia's kind of that on steroids in yeah. some ways. Um, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful it's changing. There's that bizarre rule that if you arrive on that island that's outside of Australia, you're like in turn there. But if you fly in on a plane, you're okay or something. That's some uh, really no. It's probably a bit more complicated than that. But it, but there is a whole. You know, oh no, I know what it is. If you boats. arrive by boat, yeah, they go and stick you on this island, and you, there's people there. There's, I mean, there's a case of some bloke who's been there for 15 years or something. But if you come it's in on horrendous. a plane, you're okay. It's a bit like this. It's the same for England. You can take a dinghy from France, and you might get driven into the sea. <laughs> but if you come in on an easy jet flight as a tourist, you're in. 
you're done, you know, and the, the you know the people at the the border, Calais, assumingly don't have passports. Otherwise, you know, they have passports from countries that they won't get them visas yeah, to, the for a about, tourist. Well, the thing about England is there is no legitimate way for an asylum seeker to come into England. As in, there's no bridge. Unless you're Ukrainian, there is no legitimate way you cannot come into the country legally. But isn't that the aspect? That's the truth everywhere. That's the whole point no. of claiming asylum. Oh, you're really? Supposed to claim you. We what we keep saying is you've got to claim asylum in the first safe country you come to. Yeah, and we're uh, surrounded by water, so they're never going to get to us first. Yeah. Just the Scots. Oh, we get so okay. we just won't let. So it's and kind so of a bit the like government a keeps saying, yeah, and the government keeps saying, you know, the people we're trying to deport to Rwanda, they came into the country illegally. Yes, because there is no generally, genuinely no other way to get into the UK and claim asylum. So there's no legal route unless you are Ukrainian. You could run across the border at the French end of the Eurostar, couldn't you? Oh, you could, no, you could jump that. You know, they, because it becomes Britain That's on the other side. That's how people get killed under the lorries channel. and things. No, no, I was just there. When you catch the Eurostar, there's that bit. You could just fucking go for it, you know, and then you'd be in Britain. And, I mean, can they then drag you out? Aren't you going, asylum, asylum, as they drag you back across the border? They they won't drag you back across the border, but, but you they'll know, take it's you to Yorkshire you and this lock you up. I took, um, I, took uh, my, I, I was discussing, like, what is this point? about France and that is the sort of the conservative point on it is that the law is in Europe you should claim asylum in the first place you arrive which kind of means that Greece is going to get a lot of problems or whatever. Yeah and if you look at the number of asylum seekers we take compared to every other European country it's nothing. Yeah. We're so hateful it's horrible. Oh I don't know I I, I give you Australia. (laughs) Yeah Yeah. no but I don't want to become more like Australia. No I know I know. Uh, anything uh, you like about this country? <laughs> right now, not really. <laughs> not even <say>. me. <laughs> so that was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Michelle for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and find us on socials at BizWithoutBS. Until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.